When it comes to cycleways, there's a phrase that gets bandied around a bit. We've been hearing about cyclists using the footpath instead of ratepayer-funded gold-plated cycleways. I've got real concerns around the gold-plated approach that we continue to take and the real absence of cycling numbers on many cycleways. Don't worry that half the city smells like faeces and that the other half is virtually underwater because that's all cool. A controversial $22 million gold-plated cycleway will go ahead. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen and today on The Detail, is it fair to call cycleways gold-plated? When they get built, what else actually gets upgraded? Yes, there is a cost and disruption, but are these outweighed by the benefits? I'm on Karangahape Road in central Auckland, which looks very different to what it was like just a few years ago. A cycleway now runs along both sides of the famous K Road for about two kilometres. It took six years to design and build and was completed in 2021. There was opposition to it. Local businesses, road users, cyclists and pedestrians all faced disruption while it was under construction. Critics have dubbed it a gold-plated cycleway. Auckland Transport's Head of Cycling, Adrian Lord, meets me on a section of K Road on a wet Auckland day to tell me more about it. We've changed the entire road system. So, you know, this used to be five lanes of traffic. It's now four lanes plus cycleway on either side and widened footpaths. We can't do the cycle lane in isolation in this kind of environment. And you'll also see that we've put in some what we call rain gardens. So it's planted areas that... um, help protect against the flood water as well and we put in some street trees as well to make the place look more attractive and add a bit of shading. So is gold plated at a term you like? I personally hate it because why wouldn't you make one of the most famous streets in Auckland actually look better and attract more people in? We've had a really nice letter recently from the Business Association telling us to crack on with another scheme nearby because although they went through a lot of pain while we were building this, they're really pleased with the result and pleased with the impact that it's had on business. Okay, so it's not just what we see on the top, is it? There's actually quite a bit of change to what's underneath as well. Uh, Tell me what happens at the top, what happens below the ground. (laughs) Yeah, so a lot of the money in these schemes goes towards uh, the underground works. The minute that we put a spade in the ground, right beneath your feet we've got electricity cables we've got fiber optic cables for all the communications we've got the drainage um, which might in this case date back to the 1920s and was in need of an upgrade so all of that gets replaced the electricity system often gets upgraded to meet the demands of modern society so a lot of things go on under the ground that we never see at the end of it. Um, the, the only manifestation of that you see is that we upgraded the street lighting to bring it up to modern standards and make it safer at night. Adrian spells out the cost. So I think this was a $30 million scheme, which is right at the top end of uh, what we would normally want to spend per kilometre. So, you know, that's getting on for the best part of $10 million per kilometre. Our normal run-of-the-mill cycling schemes are about a tenth of that you know so so we typically will spend about a million dollars per kilometer Um, sometimes if there are lots of bus um, stops along a route or there are 
specific issues around loading bays or there are lots of intersections, then we'll spend a little bit more than that per kilometer. But typically, one to three million dollars is is more like our average cost for a cycleway. So, what's the budget on cycleways for the city? How much do you spend? What what's allocated? Well, we have about. One percent of the total transport budget, so it's not a huge amount, but I think it's probably enough for the volume of work that we need to do. And we also piggyback on other projects. So, for example, we're building the eastern busway out from Panmure East at the moment. It's probably our biggest infrastructure investment in cycling, but it's not really coming out of the cycling budget. It's just being built alongside a, a dedicated busway. Um, and over 10 years, we've got a budget of about $306 million. So, you know, fairly substantial budget to deliver what we call our cycling and micro-mobility programme. But that's 1% of the transport budget in, in Auckland, yeah, for the yeah, ATV budget? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the good thing is that cycling, uh, despite what you might read in the press, is really cost-effective and, and the infrastructure itself tends not to cost that much to roll out so so we can uh, get a lot of uh, bang for our buck. So 306 million over, over 10 years kind of thing. does that include just what you see at the top or is that also down below all the, all the infrastructure? It includes everything so uh, as I say for the most part we try not to move the curbs and not to have to deal with all the underground uh, stuff but you know if we are if we have to move curbs for some reason, then inevitably you start to uh, have to do all the construction. And it doesn't matter whether you're building for cars or for bikes or for buses. It's the same process. You've got the same people, the same contractors, the same amount of equipment. Um, and, you know, we need a three-metre space for a traffic lane. We need a three-metre space like this for a cycle lane. So, uh, you know... Inevitably, it costs a similar amount, whatever mode you are doing for. Are these cycleways quite widely used? Yeah, I mean, on K Road, uh, we measured before and afterwards. Uh, in the years before we did the scheme, we were averaging about 250 users per day. Uh, over the last couple of years since it's opened, that's gone up to 500 on average throughout 2022. And then over the last few months, as the students have come back, we're up to 750 a day at the moment. So, you know, quite a substantial increase on what happened a few years ago before we built the scheme. Did you have a target at all? Um, we do have a target, but it's not specific to routes so we've got a kind of global increased target which is linked to our sort of 10-year investment program and we are kind of meeting or exceeding that target in some locations in other locations it's lagging behind because the infrastructure doesn't necessarily have the connections so one of the things we want to do in this location is continue on down great north road with another scheme which will add in more connections into here every time we do that we see an uplift in cycling because of this so-called network effect and across the cbd where these routes have started to link up together we've seen about a 50 percent increase in cycling year on year over the last year so we've been really beginning to see that now in auckland so where are you excited about what you're working on at the moment 
Uh, well, our next kind of big off-road scheme is going to be the boardwalk down from Oraki Station to Tarmaki Drive, so that'll be a really big, spectacular piece of infrastructure. It's the last piece in the puzzle of the route from Glen Innes through to Tarmaki Drive, so at the moment we've completed the Glen Innes through to Oraki Station sections. It's a really world-class piece of infrastructure, massively picturesque, massively popular, so this will be the last piece in that puzzle. Riding a bike is a magic thing to do, whether you're 9 years old or 89 years old. That's Patrick Morgan, the Wellington-based project manager of Cycling Action Network. It's a national charity that works with councils, the government, businesses and the community to encourage cycling in Aotearoa. The fact is that governments and councils spend less than 2% of their transport budget on cycling and walking. So gold-plated, I've heard this one before, you know, when you try and change the status quo, it pushes back hard. So it's no surprise to hear some politicians making these bogus claims. <laughs> so you're not a big fan of the term then? No, it's, it's BS. It's not particularly friendly towards cyclists, is it? No, and unfortunately it's, it's mistaken for a few reasons. Firstly, again, we're only spending 1% or 2% of the transport budget on it, so it's a long way from the truth. Second, often cycleway projects include a whole bunch of other project costs, but they're called cycleways. So, for example, in Wellington, uh, Waka Kotahi is investing around $200 million on a four-kilometre section of seawall to protect the highway and the railway line. On top of that, there'll be a shared walking and biking path. Te Tupu is a great uh, connection. It connects Lower Hutt and Wellington. The government has unveiled plans to build a cycleway in a particularly treacherous route for cyclists between the capital and the Hutt Valley. For the first time, you'll be able to easily and safely bike or walk between the two parts of, of the city. But most of the cost is building the seawall, which is underneath the shared path. We're seeing this again and again in New Zealand. Increasingly, we have to protect our infrastructure from sea level rise. That's a good thing to do, but councils need to be very transparent about where the money's going to. If it's going towards a seawall, call it a seawall. And then people won't get so worried about spending all this money on a cycleway. No, they'll still get worried because, you know, change is hard and there's always a reason to, to oppose progress. There's a hundred reasons not to do things, and believe me, I've heard them all, but... You know, most cities in New Zealand are getting on with the job and investing in making our streets better and cycling sweeter. If you've got any more examples of where cycling and infrastructure kind of work well together, like you upgrade the cycleway, you upgrade the infrastructure. I'm um, thinking about in, in Otago Harbour, there's a, an awesome um, path that goes around to Portobello and Port Chalmers around the other side. The Peninsula Connection Project is, is a fantastic opportunity to make this part of the city, which is a spectacular uh, part of the city, uh, more accessible to more people. It has massive uh, tourism benefits and connectivity. It really, uh, it's a place-making project as well. For the first time, people can walk and cycle alongside that, that lovely harbour without having to mix with, with busy traffic. We know that in Auckland, some of the, the bike lanes are built. There's stormwater upgrades going in there as well. Often there's upgrades to footpaths, maybe bus lanes are put in, possibly new, new cables or pipes are done at the same time. So, you know, when people talk about gold-plated cycleways, the, the cost often reflects all these other upgrades and benefits that are going into the project. Christchurch also has quite a significant biking network, doesn't it? It sure does. Um, the 13, 
I think they're called major cycleways. Most of them are built now. And I don't think there's really anyone in Christchurch who says, let's rip them out and go back to the old ways. The Christchurch City Council's investing $156 million in 13 cycleways across the city in a post-earthquake overhaul of the transport network there. Most people would know that Christchurch historically has high levels of cycling. After the the earthquakes, the council ran a big engagement um, exercise called Share an Idea. And I think the most requested thing was fix cycling in Christchurch. So there was a really strong public mandate from people in Christchurch throughout successive councils to invest money in making biking better. And it's paying off. Cycling is it's amazing in Christchurch, and I think it's the, the envy of other cities in New Zealand. Is there any kind of investment that you're looking at now and you're thinking, oh, wow, that's pretty cool, that's pretty good to see? I'm really encouraged by the approach Wellington City Council is taking, taking a transitional approach to building, I guess, a, a minimum viable product, um, 166Ks of bike lanes over the next five years. What that does is it gets you a, a minimum network throughout the city and the ridership numbers will, I think they'll really surprise everyone how, how popular it will be. Instead of our spending years and years planning, designing, consulting, talking about it, they're getting on and doing the job. And I think we're already seeing the benefits of that. It also makes it more acceptable for, for politicians to back it. They can see improvements within a single electoral term rather than waiting years and years for um, a cycling project to take shape. Is that where they're separating cycleways to more than 20% of Wellington streets? That's correct. And also traffic calming on other streets. So it makes streets uh, nicer and safer for, for our children, for everyone in our community. Wellington's also had controversy in its cycling network history. I mean, we had Island Bay, for instance. Wellington City Council is split again as it tries to solve cycleway issues in Island Bay. The 1.7 kilometre cycleway has been riddled with controversy and changing plans since the cycleway was developed in 2016. Do you have faith that the job can be done? Yes, I do. Most cities go through that for one or two projects. Even even Christchurch has similar projects that met with a lot of opposition. A Christchurch business owner says a cycleways project has proven to be disastrous for his St Albans store. I think everyone's learnt lessons from that, both the council, bike advocates and the community. And I think the Wellington City Council's new plan, Panaki Ponaki, has a lot of support from the mayor and councillors. And I think it's going to deliver the goods. It's not to say there won't be pushback because there's always some pushback with change, but I think it delivers the benefits more quickly, more cheaply, and I think uh, we'll see the momentum pick up. Back to Kay Road, where Adrian Lord tells me how Auckland Transport builds a cycleway from start to finish. So we start with an idea and then there will be some kind of check on that to make sure that it aligns with our kind of policies or with council policies and with our kind of program of other work so it may be that we're also looking at doing bus improvements or something else along the same corridor so we try and do that alignment um nowadays uh, for a lot of the minor works we also try and line up with our renewals program where we're doing resurfacing work so for example this street probably due for resurfacing quite soon we would look at whether there's an opportunity to do cycling infrastructure as part of that resurfacing work because it's a really cheap way to get it done and dig once without disrupting people. After we've done that initial policy and uh, programme check, 
We'll then run into the sort of business casework where we make the financial case for doing it. We make some estimates about how many people are going to use it, whether it will actually make financial sense, uh, the sort of cost-benefit analysis. After we've done that, we then get into the design process of concept, um, make just doing the general layout and then doing the detailed design to make sure it's actually buildable. Will we need to change the drains? Will we need to change the lights and so on and so forth? And that gives us a good estimate of how much it's actually going to cost and then we'll go through an approvals process internally of making sure that our executive leadership team are comfortable with that and then eventually the Auckland Transport Board will sign off approvals for a contract to construct. So it's, it's quite a lengthy planning process. In the middle of all that, of course, we've got the public consultation, which can take months uh, you know, to complete, to give enough people enough time to have an input. Um, and we'll normally do that once at the concept stage and then again once we've got a more detailed plan if it's a more complicated scheme so they can see what they're actually getting. Then eventually after all that, it generally takes a couple of years. If it's a complicated scheme like K-Road, it will take two years on site to actually build it. If it's a simple scheme, it's probably about three months to build typically. Some people say that you know there's a lot of sign-offs at AT and it, it takes quite a while for something to get off the ground. Um, they say it's a pretty slow process. I mean, do you, is that process necessary? I think AT is a massive organisation um, and it is public money and we need our checks and balances. So inevitably it's a bit of a slow process. We benefit when politicians support what we do. If politicians don't support what we do, it takes longer um, and there is more to and froing, and that leads to delay in projects. It's partly a political thing, partly a process thing. Generally, you know, when you look back at what we built out for cycling over the last 10 years, I think we can be pretty pleased and pretty proud of what we've done. Still, despite all of this work, there's a bit of a perception that cyclists and cycleways are a pain if you're a motorist or don't use them. We were right all along about the cycleways. We said cycleways aren't the future, don't get used, cost a fortune, inconvenience the rest of us, i.e. those in cars. Lord is well aware of this negativity. I think it's harder. For most people, they don't ride a bike. It's not part of their life. So they see it as kind of irrelevant and it's something that the council is spending money on when there are maybe more pressing things that they they should be worried about. So, so there is this perception that it's a kind of luxury item that the council spends money on. Also, I, I used to work in the bike trade and selling bikes sort of 30 years ago and there was this perception that a bike should be something cheap I think we, that carries through into the cycle infrastructure that why are we spending this amount of money on it? Surely there's a cheap way to do it. Uh, and so uh, there is perception that when you see some of the big numbers around what's being spent on cycling, there's disconnecting people's minds with the fact that they don't cycle. Um, if they're driving down the motorway, they're probably no, never going to see that many cyclists on their way to work. So there is perception that it's a minority mode that is having a disproportionate amount of money spent on it. Why should people cycle? I think for most short journeys, around 60% of journeys across the entire city are less than three kilometres. You're almost certain to be quicker on a bike. So just purely for selfish reasons, 
jump on your bike, give it a go. You don't have to worry about finding somewhere to park when you get there. You lean your bike up, lock it up, and you're there right at the door of where you're going to. So it is the massively most convenient thing, and I think most people who are new to cycling, that is the big revelation for them. They always overestimate how much effort it will take. They overestimate how much time it will take because they're used to kind of having to drive around for 10 minutes to find somewhere to park when they get to where they're going and so on. But the other thing which all the scientists will tell you is that you will have the heart and lungs of somebody who is 10 years younger than you really are. And so there is a massive personal health benefit. And it's the best way to stave off uh, cardiovascular disease and certain types of cancers and so on. So it's really good for you personally as well. Patrick Morgan has some views on how this negative perception can be overcome. I think storytelling has a big part to play. For example, businesses in Wellington, they've joined a a campaign called Cycling Works where they're speaking up for cycling. We're changing the narrative that uh, many businesses are fans of investing in cycling. It also means uh, thinking about who rides a bike. So there's some lazy stereotypes about lycra or mountain biking or whatever. But the truth is in New Zealand... Maybe one in three of us, so one and a half million people, rides bikes. That's old, young, men, women, everyone are riding bikes. It's good for cycling advocates to to demonstrate that and show that a range of people ride bikes. So when we talk to councils, they won't always hear from someone who looks like me. Um, We'll put up a range of people to um, persuade them. Is there anything else we can do? I mean, we can talk about the benefits, can't we? We can talk about, we can show these studies to people, but the thing is people might not want to believe it. I mean, this is the thing. They get so emotionally invested in their business that even if you show them, say, you know, car parking won't be affected, they're still going to go, oh, well, I think this. They won't want to change their mind. We don't need to persuade 100% of people, and I think uh, you're quite right. Um, you know, we, we have a set of values, and if you present someone with facts, they filter that through their values. So I think let's start by talking about what we value in our cities. Safe streets, a community that's connected, looking out for each other. Those are things that most people can agree on. Uh, starting off by talking about, you know, where's this bike lane going to go and how it's going to affect parking, that's not a very helpful way to start talking about it. So I think cities and the government has got a lot smarter about presenting the case for change. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Adrian Lord and Patrick Morgan. Ka kite anō.